Good evening, listeners. The Meat Macabre and the Poultrygeist are still on the road and looking for a bed for the night. There's a mansion up ahead that looks like it has plenty of room, though, and looks very warm and inviting. What do you say, Danny? Fancy giving them a knock? Well, they always say um, people shouldn't go into glass houses or throw stones in glass houses, but we're going to try our luck, aren't we, Chris? <laughs> we must certainly are, my friend. And welcome once again, boys and ghouls, to episode 8 of Disgusting Awful, the spin-off series that takes a deep dive into some of our favourite horror movies. And Danny's dug out a right beauty this month, haven't you, pal? Definitely. So today we're going to be looking at the 2001 horror 13 Ghosts, which is definitely a favourite of mine. It's something I remember buying on the pirate videotape back in 2001 as a 10-year-old. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into this with you, mate. There are ghosts around us all the time. Most of them, they can't hurt us. Most of them don't even want to hurt us. But there are exceptions. I represent the estate of your Uncle Cyrus. We have an Uncle Cyrus? Cyrus recorded this message six weeks ago. He asked it to be played for you in the event of his death. I've instructed my lawyer to deliver my last will and testament. A key? A key to what? A key to your new house. This house, it is a one-of-a-kind home. Arthur, we've got some papers to sign in the library. After that, I would love to take you and the family around on a tour of the house. This place is awesome! Now, I know I'm dreaming. Oh, your uncle was quite a collector of many things. What the hell was that? For these six people... You're wasting your time. It's all sealed up. The only thing worse than being trapped in a house with a ghost. This house is not a house. We're in the middle of a machine. Powered by the dead. Is being trapped in a house with 13 ghosts. We got company! Where, I can't... How close is it? Close enough to hurt you. Go, 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 go! Can I rely on you not to get me killed? I guarantee you nothing. That's lovely, Danny. Um... So, mate, what is it about this film that makes it a favourite of yours? There's a big part of uh, just maybe nostalgia, I would say, is the biggest part. Um, the music is probably uh, the second part of it. But overall, it's just very, very unique, isn't it? It's not like somebody, a monster chasing a bunch of teens. This is something completely groundbreaking until I found out it was actually a remake. But... Um, it's, yeah, I would say definitely just the new story would probably be the most um, part of why I like it because it's very revolutionary, especially for the early 2000s. Most definitely, mate. And uh, I've this is where I put my cards on the table and state to you in all honesty uh, that I had never watched this film before you mentioned reviewing it. So actually, um, you know, my first time watching it was uh, just a few weeks back. Brilliant, mate. I mean, how did you find it overall, just before we get into the episode? Uh, yeah, it was certainly a, an interesting watch. Uh, there's there's not an awful lot about this movie online, really, when I was doing my research. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that definitely helps the enjoyment of the film, to be honest. So, uh, so would you have been uh, 10 years old when you first watched this then, bud? 10 or 11 because uh if it came out 2001 i definitely remember buying it from a car boot sale <laughs> which seems to be a running theme on this uh, show it has doesn't <laughs> it does yeah um yeah. as our car boot finds well oh. i was uh, i was 42 years old and i streamed it on prime but uh yeah it's uh, the the quality of the film from a, a cinematography uh, aspect mm -hmm. it definitely holds up to whatever is out today as well they've done a very good job with it Absolutely, mate. And um, 
it's just it's something I can see a lot of how maybe Saw would have um, taken um, elements from this film to add to the Saw franchise because there was a oh, lot. Yeah. Of, there was a lot of um, unique deaths that is something that um, horror was lacking in the, especially in the nineties. It would like we'd seen everything in the eighties. So by the two thousands, there had to be we had to get new deaths for um, cinema goers. Mm. Yeah, most definitely. So yeah, you can see where this film has kind of drawn on a lot of inspiration for films that uh, follow it. Um, but listeners, for those of you who were equally as unaware of this movie as I was, Thirteen Ghosts is a two thousand and one supernatural horror film directed by Steve Beck and is a remake of the 1960 film Thirteen Ghosts by William Castle. The film stars Tony Shalhoub, Embeth Davids, Matthew Lillard, Shannon Elizabeth, Alec Roberts, Ra Digger and F. Murray Abraham. And the synopsis of this film is quite simple. When Cyrus Criticos, a very rich collector of unique things, dies, he leaves his house, fortune and his prized collection of ghosts to his nephew. It was released to theatres on October the 26th, 2001. The film was unsuccessful both critically and commercially, grossing only $68 million against its $42 million budget. So, Danny, I couldn't find very much about this film online from a research perspective, so I'm relying on that big chess club brain of yours to fill in some of the blanks for me, but I've managed to find a few things based purely on digging around the original movie. Yeah, brilliant. Um, The original movie, um, I don't know a lot about it. I think I saw a trailer of it on YouTube once, but I do remember trying to look for it because I wanted to see how it compared to the remake. Um... What did you find about uh, the the original, Chris? Okay, so the the actual original film itself is quite hard to find unless you want to pay for a um, Arrow Video subscription. Uh, but um, when I was looking at the original film, I managed to find some information on William Castle himself. Uh, he was a prolific director of B-movies and was known for keeping to really tight budgets before he developed a reputation for producing and directing some really competent thrillers and is particularly known for being the producer behind the classic Rosemary's Baby, which we really should watch at some time, mate. Wow, actually, that's shocking. Yeah, yeah, I'm actually surprised by that. Um, Yeah, I'm definitely up for watching that with you, mate. Awesome. So Castle had been directing films since 1943, uh, and the original 13 Ghosts was released in 1960. And as with several of his more famous productions, Castle used a gimmick to promote 13 Ghosts, as audience members were given the choice to see the ghosts. So in cinemas, most scenes were in black and white, but scenes involving the ghosts were shown in a process dubbed Illusiono. The filmed effects of the actors and the sets, everything except the ghosts, had a blue filter applied to the footage, while the ghost elements had a red filter and were superimposed over the frame. Audiences received viewing glasses with red and blue cellophane filters. Unlike with early 3D glasses having one eye red and the other cyan or blue, the Illusiono device required viewers to look through a single colour with both eyes. Looking through the red filter intensified the images of the ghosts, while the blue filter removed them completely. Television and home video releases were edited to simulate the effect without the need for special glasses. And could you imagine if that gimmick had taken off, Danny? I mean, I found wearing 3D glasses bad enough when that was a thing in the cinemas without having to wear coloured lenses for the duration of a film. Yeah, that is something... you can see why it stays in the past and is not is not uh, around today. But um, I give them credit for trying something brand new. I mean, that's revolutionary. So as previously mentioned, this film is a remake of a cult classic. But do you have any inkling, Danny, behind how this remake came to be? No, none at all, mate. Okay, so in 1988, Joel Silver, Robert Zemeckis and Gilbert Adler formed Dark Castle Entertainment, which was a production company named as a homage to William Castle himself, with the intent of remaking Castle's previous horror films, with the first movie being House on Haunted Hill. Oh, that's a classic. 
It is, and again, it's one of those films where the remake is just as good, if not better, than the original to me. Yeah, definitely. And again, I'm sure we'll watch that at some time as well. Yes, 100%, mate. (laughs) (laughs) So 13 Ghosts was the second film put out by this company. After these two remakes, it moved on to producing original material, along with remakes of non-Castle films. Starting with Rock and Roller, the company began producing films in genres other than horror. While most of the company's films were initially poorly reviewed by critics, their 2009 film Splice eventually received better reviews. And more recent horror productions of theirs include The Hills Run Red, Orphan, Seance and Orphan First Kill. So quite the pedigree there, pal, in modern horror. Definitely, mate. I mean, you talk about Splice. That is just a fantastic film as well. That's something we have to get on this show. Yeah, definitely. It's it's quite a, a cleverly put together film, actually. So, yeah, it's something yeah. that would be interested in watching at some point. Absolutely, mate. I mean, it just goes back to what I was saying before. It's like the 2000s really, um, I don't want to say reinvented, but they definitely brought um, new ways of like, ways that you'll remember how somebody died death scenes was Mm. is definitely um rejuvenated in the 2000s it really was and yeah there's there's some quite interesting kills in this film as well which we'll obviously get to while we talk about it but uh in all honesty mate that's everything i could find background wise on this film without going too much into spoiler territory on the ghosts which i thought we could talk about um after we've discussed the plot if you'd like yeah absolutely mate yeah Brilliant. So, without further ado, let's dive into this film. So, we open on ghost hunter Cyrus Criticos and his psychic assistant, Dennis Rafkin, who are leading a team on a mission to capture a spirit called the Juggernaut. Several men, including Cyrus, are killed while the team is able to catch the ghost. The Juggernaut is caught by being lured into a strange glass cube. Cyrus's nephew, Arthur, a widower and mathematician, is informed by Cyrus's estate lawyer, Ben Moss, that he has inherited Cyrus's mansion. Financially insecure, Arthur decides to move there with his two children, Kathy and Bobby, and their nanny, Maggie. Now, talk about some good fortune, Danny. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that the good luck is only going to continue to come, right? Oh, of course, mate. I mean, who, who wouldn't want to jump at that opportunity and think, oh, my life's problem's over now? Especially when um, the um, the lawyer just said everything like, oh, you don't have to pay for anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, they've got to see him pretty, mate. Well, that's it. I mean, uh, you know, a, a creepy uncle that I've never met is going to leave me set for life. Sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, disguised as a power company worker, Dennis meets the family as they tour the mansion. The residence is made entirely of glass sheets inscribed with Latin phrases, which Dennis recognises as barrier spells. He discovers that the twelve angry ghosts that he and Cyrus captured are imprisoned in the house, held captive by the spells indented onto the glass. As he warns Arthur, Moss unwittingly triggers a mechanism that seals the house and releases the ghosts, before dying when a set of sliding doors cut him in half. And again, brilliant kill, wasn't it? I mean, the the visceral nature of it. Yeah, yeah, really, really cool, really unique, had never been done before. That, uh, to me, I would say, yeah, probably was the best um, kill of the entire film, because... um, you don't know what's happening when that glass sh- door shuts. You just think, oh, he's probably just been here or something like that. But then when he slides down and it's like, whoa, I've never seen anything like that before or since. No, the the closest thing I think I've seen is, uh, you know, the original Resident Evil movie where the soldiers are in that laser room. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And you see that, like, really, well, there's the really slow decapitation and then there's also... Um, Colin Salmon's character that gets like sliced into several bits like cubes of ham yeah and there's something on uh, Saw one of the Saw films where um, somebody goes through uh, like a laser type thing that's attached to his head and then he also gets sliced into um, bits of (laughs) as you put it there so yeah yeah they're definitely this is a blueprint here Definitely, yeah, you can definitely see where other films have drawn their inspiration. Yeah. 
So while this is happening, Bobby sees several of the ghosts, including the withered lover, his mother Jean, who had died of injuries sustained in a house fire. He's knocked unconscious, however, and dragged away. So, as per usual with the films that we've chosen lately, the first death that we witnessed properly was well-deserved, pal, as that Ben Moss seemed like a right wrong one, didn't he? Oh, he did, definitely. He was so greedy, just did it for the money, and it ultimately cost him, because as soon as he picked up the briefcase, sing. <laughs> <laughs> well-deserved, well-deserved. So, um, the family are able to see these vengeful spirits because of these pairs of spectral glasses that are dotted around the house. And Dennis uses a pair in order to see the jackal, who is one of the most dangerous ghosts, that attacks Kathy and Arthur, but they're saved by Kalina Orezia, a spirit liberator who is attempting to free the ghosts. Kathy disappears and the four adults gather in the library, where Arthur learns that Jean's ghost is also in the house. Kalina explains that the house itself is actually a machine, powered by the captive ghosts, that allows its user to see the past, present and future, with the only way to shut it down being through the creation of a 13th ghost from a sacrifice of love. Arthur realises that he must become the ghost to save his children. So this film is playing with some real emotions here, Danny, and the main thing that I took away from Arthur's character right from the off is that this is a guy who has seemingly sacrificed any kind of personal success for the love of his family. And from here on in, that theme really comes to the forefront, doesn't it? Absolutely, mate. It's that, it's that um, emotional aspect that um, a lot of films uh, are lacking today, a lot of horror films. like you, you know that this is the main guy and he will do anything to save his children. Yeah, it's it's a really powerful emotion, um, especially speaking as a parent, because, uh, you know, you, you get to a point in your life where um, you either want to be focused on your job um, as a means to initially to provide for the family, but also because you want to be successful or you find out what really matters to you. And, uh, and obviously this is a guy that has made that choice and it is shown fully in what he sets out to do next as uh, he and Dennis take a pair of the spectral glasses each to enter the basement to find the children. They carry one of the glass doors with them with the incantation spell, which I thought was really clever uh, because obviously that is the one thing that affects the ghost, doesn't it, and stops them from yeah. getting any further. Yeah, and uh, that's really, really cool as well. It's like their only defence mechanism. <laughs> it's not like... It's it's not the strongest defence mechanism they could think, but it's all they had to, um, at hand at that point, and you really, really felt that. Yeah, you did. And, um, you know, you also get to see um, another side to Dennis here. So I know we've kind of um, whizzed through this quite a bit, but um, you, you kind of wonder about Dennis's motivations at some point because you've seen him with this Cyrus guy and you've kind of seen that he has been uh, obviously... Um, been doing this job purely for the money and nothing else but then you kind of see this instance where Dennis sets out to do anything to help Arthur get his children back and and that actually shows in our next death scene as um, Dennis notices uh, the hammer and the juggernaut coming up from two different angles knowing that there's no way out of it so he barricades Arthur behind the glass sheet for his protection before getting beaten to death by both vengeful spirits. Um, and again, you know, this is another instance where um, it's quite a, it's, well, at least a very visceral sounding death. But uh, also, I, I don't think we got a lot of this in, in horror films beforehand, did we, where they actually showed a death in such graphic, audible detail, at least. Yeah, definitely, mate. It was very, very brutal. Um, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's like, what came before this? Like, I can't picture anything. Neither can I, to be honest. At least nothing that wasn't already on a band list, you know. So while all this is happening, Maggie and Kalina find the machine, only to be confronted by Cyrus. It is revealed, however, that Cyrus faked his death to lure Arthur to the house, and that Kalina is his partner, which is revealed when she knocks Maggie unconscious with a large book and promptly kisses Cyrus upon his arrival. 
Cyrus has orchestrated the abduction of Cathy and Bobby so that Arthur will become the 13th ghost, which will not stop the machine, as Kalina had claimed, but trigger its activation. Cyrus kills Kalina, however, who objected to Cyrus putting the children in danger, and summons the ghosts to activate the machine. Well, Danny, may I say, what a bastard! Oh yeah, a massive swerve. I remember watching that for the first time and I was like, oh, I thought he was dead. But it turns out he faked his own death <laughs> just for the sacrifice here because um, at the beginning of the film you just feel bad. You're like, oh man, he died for nothing. And then it just pulls on your emotions when he shows back up and is, is like, oh, he faked his death. I hate him, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, yeah, this is where you get to see Cyrus as such a reprehensible character as well. I mean, he, he even goes so far to choose his nephew's wife as one of the spirits as well. I mean, talk about you know, a git. Such oh, a git. Oh, yeah. That definitely pulled on the heartstrings. Um, yeah. Especially the way, I believe she died in the fire as well. It was revealed in the first, um, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, yeah. It's just it, brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Raw emotion. It is. And you really see the parallels here um, in characterization between Cyrus and Arthur. So if Arthur's the person that's kind of chosen love, then Cyrus is the guy that's definitely chosen um, monetary success over yeah. everything. And uh, it, the, the monologue that he has during his fight scene with Arthur really highlights to me um, his focus of choosing uh, success over family. Because you kind of get this contrast of like the character of Arthur, who is poor in the world's eyes, but truly rich. And Cyrus, who has riches beyond his wildest dreams, but is morally empty. And that really plays into kind of the rest of the film, doesn't it? Like, a, especially due to, you know, kind of what happens to him, um, you know, once the ghosts get a hold of him. But in the main hall... Arthur witnesses all 12 ghosts orbiting a clockwork device of rotating metal rings with his children at the centre. He fights Cyrus while Maggie disrupts the machine's controls, releasing the ghosts from its power and causing the machine to go haywire. The ghosts get a hold of Cyrus and hurl him into the moving rings, slicing him to pieces. With the encouragement of Dennis's ghost, Arthur jumps through the machine safely to protect his children. The walls of the house shatter as the malfunctioning machine rips itself apart, freeing the ghosts. Jean's ghost then tells them that she loves them before she disappears. And this is the only type of ending sequence that I would accept, given that this yeah. film was put together at the tail end of the horror movies need a happy ending era, Danny. Yeah. I'll However, it certainly doesn't take away from the enjoyment factor of this film. No, that's a great way of putting it, Chris. Yeah, it's, um, it's something that uh, like people can say, oh, this is a cheesy ending or something like that. I don't agree. Uh, this was brilliant. It was. It, it really was. I mean, you, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy that sacrificed everything for his family, so therefore it makes sense that, you know... Um, the, the last memory that he would have of this house is seeing his wife one last time, isn't it? Who kind of, yeah. you know, they get to say their goodbyes properly, don't they? Definitely, mate. And I, like, I just, I think the biggest thing for me is the the fact that that house had to shatter because that was a brilliant looking house. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's it's such a shame. I mean, uh, now I think of it, like I've, I've passed houses like that on my way to places before now and I, I don't think I'll look at them in the same way again. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah excellent overall um i think the, uh just before we get to the end the the acting of matthew lillard is just fantastic in this film oh um, it is yeah it is. i think uh, this was around the era he was doing the scooby-doo movies as well and such a contrast from playing that hipster well hippie um shaggy on um on scooby-doo to this to playing a complete psychopath um there's, I mean, we we've talked about Matthew Lillard uh, a couple of times on this um, show, on but to me, I don't want to say he's typecast as Shaggy, but it almost feels like he is. What do you feel about that, Chris? So what I what I find about Matthew Lillard as an actor, and it, it takes nothing away from his talent, but it, it's kind of the fact of he's he's tapped into the fact that he can play lovable losers and weirdos 
really well. Yeah. And he kind of, like, almost combines the two here, to be fair. Like, he, he gets a nice redemption arc, um, and, you know, you can tell that he was starting to feel quite conflicted um, in the first place. You know, he's, he's purposely seeked the family out in order to... Uh, you know, try try to warn them about what they're getting themselves into. Uh, but yeah, I I probably think that his performance is probably the standout one of the whole film, personally. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Same. Yeah. So the final bit of the film sees the family depart from the house with Maggie angrily declaring that she is quitting as their nanny. And I can't say I blame her, mate, given her experience compared to everyone else. So she seemed to get into the most scrapes, really, didn't she? Yeah, definitely, and she definitely gave it back to the ghosts. I mean, she was, um, yeah, yeah. I, I can't blame her for quitting uh, that job and just hopefully finding a better employment somewhere else. Definitely not, and uh, I think that's that's one of the things that we're missing from horror movies, which is the uh, the, the the sassy black lass. You you don't seem to get them in uh, modern horror films anymore, do you? No, I mean, it's a thing of the, uh, definitely of the late 90s, early 2000s. I mean, we saw uh, on Freddy vs. Jason, um, but unfortunately, I, I, can't, I think it was, um, was it Naomi Campbell, who, or was it somebody else? No, it was, um, oh, Thingy from Destiny's Child. Yes, yes. Uh, not, Best- yeah. not, not Michelle Williams and not Beyonce, but... Uh, the, the other one, one. <laughs> yeah yeah the, we'll just call it the third one the third yeah, one yeah. she she um played that role very very well as well she did um, before ultimately meeting meeting her demise on that um in a quite another a shout out to that creative death as well that was pretty cool oh yeah there's some great deaths in freddie versus jason isn't there yeah yeah, yeah. definitely that's and, it um yeah so it's all of all in all i've really enjoyed this film yeah, I mean, so so did I, mate. I mean, I was I was really glad that you you chose this film because it gave me a chance to watch it for the first time, and I'd watch it again. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Definitely, mate. I mean, I'm often after we finish this, I'm going to watch the original. To I, I will seek it out somehow. Oh, uh, it'll be somewhere. It's probably on um, Internet Archive. To be fair, it, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we definitely liked this and. Given that this film was released at a time where remakes were about to be rife, this particular remake was a shining example of how tinkering with the original storyline slightly could improve things for a new audience. So, Danny, the the only thing apparently that the original and the remake have in common is that they share a title. So the 1960 version of 13 Ghosts doesn't expand much on the ghosts themselves and doesn't even name the spirits in the house uh, inherited by the family. And they're also considerably less violent, both in terms of their actions and how they died. So the actual spirits in the original don't look nearly as harrowing by modern standards, which is to be expected by the special effects standards of the time. Um, But there's also no Black Zodiac backstory either, um, even though there is a character called Cyrus um, in both films. uh, But in the original, he is actually the protagonist rather than the antagonist. Um, and the 12 ghosts in the remake also need someone to die in the house to create a 13th to free themselves. Yeah. This is something that's also new um, in the film. Oh. So the inspiration this gave for the remake in which Cyrus needs 13 ghosts to activate Basilius's machine is obvious. Um, but that's pretty much where the similarities end. Um, but I personally love that each ghost had a backstory as well, pal. Um, oh, with yeah. each one explaining their motivations to, you know, cause a scene. Uh, so, shall yeah. we go through each individual spirit's uh, backstory? Absolutely, mate. Uh, just to let everyone know, uh, we will be posting a, pa- a full page of uh, each uh, character's backstory later on, just before this episode is released or shortly after, because I have the DVD and on the extras it has a full page, uh, full pages on each car- on each ghosts. But yeah, I'm, I'm happy to run uh, through them with you, Chris. Fetch the book. I told you, greatness, 
requires sacrifice. Yeah, mate, that's great. That's great. So the first ghost that we come across is the firstborn son, who was a boy named Billy Michaels who had an unhealthy obsession with pop culture involving cowboys and Indians. Any attempt to rip him away from his fantasy life would earn rage. But that rage and a toy gun didn't protect Billy from a real arrow fired into his head by another boy during an ill-conceived duel. However, unlike Damien from The Omen or Samara from The Ring, Billy is a relatively harmless child ghost. He doesn't attack anyone directly in 13 Ghosts, but he does scare them into the path of the more violent demonic spirits, doesn't he? Yeah, he really does. And that first appearance by him oh, still gives me chills, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. Wow. That... And I think, really, he was probably the one that I wanted to see more of in the film. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Especially that backstory. That's very interesting. Mm. Our next ghost is very interesting as well. Uh, the appropriately titled The Torso which is the only one that is exactly what it sounds like, a disembodied torso wrapped in cellophane. So in real life, the torso was part of a compulsive gambler named Jimmy Gambino, who was also a bookie, but his own gambling prevented him from being able to pay out the winnings of a made man in the mob, and the criminal didn't take it too kindly. He sent goons to kill Jimmy and cut him up, dumping his remains into the ocean. And the torso is one of the most visually striking of the 13 ghosts. And seeing a double amputee actor in Daniel Wesley bring him to unlife is truly the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? It really is. Do you know, uh, Just to be completely transparent with you, Chris, I think that ghost is the scariest to me because I don't know what, like when I was under 10, I had to be about seven or eight. Have you seen Stir of Echoes? Yes. Right, there's a scene in there. I don't know how many times I've tried to watch this again. I cannot. It's, it's messed me up so bad. Is when um, they find a dead body in the uh, in the wall, and this is all from memory from like twenty plus years ago. Um, I believe did they strangle a girl or something like that, and then they put her in the wall. I get that same feeling with this torso thing because it's like. I'm amazed that this film was rated 15, to be honest with you, because some parts of it has messed me up a little bit. Some parts I can't watch again. And seeing that visual, oh, that does definitely frighten me. Oh, yeah. I mean, just just because there aren't any, you know, blatantly obvious scares in this film, it doesn't mean that the film doesn't have enough suspense to keep you yes. kind of gripped and kind of concerned for what you're going to see does it yeah i mean the the flash uh the flash goes the little like very very quick scenes also frightened me as well oh yeah yeah it's amazing because um if i post this on twitter or something and my sister will say oh like you're watching that like you're you're a big horror fan but i'm just like i'm watching this at three o'clock in the daytime because i'm not watching it at night time because <laughs> <laughs> this this really does actually there's some parts of this that I don't know why my brain can't handle it, but mm. it's like it's too much like for me. But, but but I enjoy the film, but there's yeah. tiny parts that I like. Oh no, I'd, I'd rather just fast forward that bit, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's um, yeah, I I I had to watch this with the light on as well, mate. So you're not the only one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so our third ghost is the bound woman who was yeah. named Susan the Grow and had a privileged upbringing. She was a rich, popular cheerleader who dated the captain of the school football team. That was until said captain found her with another boy on prom night and had a rather horrific reaction, bludgeoning his romantic rival to death and strangling Susan with his own tie. But, like the firstborn son and the torso, she's more scary than an actual threat to the family, isn't she? Yeah, definitely. That's, I mean... All of these really do mess you up when yeah. you're in this. Yeah, like if there's if there's something that you don't particularly like, I mean, there's there's really literally when it comes to scaring the pants off people, mm. there's something for everyone with these ghosts. You know, there's there's one that at least uh, singles out, isn't there? Yeah, 
yeah it really is it's, it just sticks with you in your head and it's like oh man and then you start thinking like that backstory you could make a whole film out of that to be honest with you i mean there have been many films of that happening but with those characters you can make an entire film i mean each each one of these 13 ghosts do deserve their own film to be honest with you yeah they do yeah or, or at least some kind of like um like mini episodes of like origin stories and stuff maybe don't listen netflix <laughs> well no i would i i would go for a, a animated thing you know like yeah like, like they did with the boys spin-off i, I would definitely yeah. go for something like that yeah definitely mm. so one ghost that definitely is not any kind of threat to the criticos family is the withered lover but that's due to her particularly tragic backstory as she was Jean Criticos, wife of Arthur and mother to his children, Kathy and Bobby, who died in a house fire that the rest of her family survived. And she is pretty much the the conscience of the movie, isn't she? Kind of, yeah. uh, you know, the, like still still showing to be the, the motherly protector from beyond the grave. Yeah, definitely, mate. I mean, this is... Uh, it just goes back to that backstory. Just, like, just so good. Like, just... They really put effort into this. Mm. They did. And I thought they really put a lot of effort in with the Torn Prince, who is our fifth ghost, who was a high school baseball star in the late 1950s, explaining the ever-present baseball bat weapon that he'll happily use to attack any of the living characters. Named Royce Clayton in life, the Torn Prince died during a drag race after losing control of his car in a horrific accident. He shouldn't blame himself, though, as his opponent had secretly tampered with the brakes. Now, while he wasn't the most dangerous of all the ghosts in uh, in this film, Danny, he was the one that probably gave me the most scares because he looked the most convincing as like a zombie-type character. And yeah. he, he was quite unrelenting, really, with that weapon. Yeah, definitely. It added to his... Um to his character it was like uh, but that backstory is just incredible as well it was like especially yeah. drag racing in the 50s Ooh, just uh, <laughs> you're just asking for death there aren't you <laughs> well you are exactly it was quite a dangerous pastime anyway without having someone dick around with your brakes oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so our next ghost in the remake is um it's well it's a bit of blue for the dads it's the angry princess who was born dana newman she was an incredibly beautiful woman by all standards but her own. However, she was unable to be happy with her looks, seeing imperfections that others didn't, and constantly trying to improve her image via surgery. A string of abusive relationships did nothing to help her self-image either. After a self-administered but botched facial surgery left her looking like the Joker, Dana took her own life, opening her wrists in a bathtub. In 13 Ghosts, the slimy lawyer character Ben Moss makes a rude comment about her nude ghostly appearance and pays for it accordingly. And again, uh, this was the character that I thought could have probably caused the most danger for that reason. Yeah, definitely. It's, this is character is um, front and centre on the DVD case. It's like highlighted most... Mm. um well obvious, for obvious reasons obviously but um this was yeah very very scary looking and very scary backstory as well yeah very much so and uh and again uh probably if they were ever to do a, a spin-off uh this is the character that i'd like to see kind of get a bit more of a focus as well to same with the dvd cover really i, th I think it would yeah. be a real selling point wouldn't it yeah definitely mate Named Isabella Smith, the Pilgrimus was a victim of the Salem witch trial hysteria that gripped New England in the late 1600s. A local outcast, Isabella was accused of witchcraft, and when an attempted burning didn't work, the perception that she was evil only increased. In the end, the Pilgrimus was left to slowly die of starvation in the stocks her ghost remains locked in during 13 Ghosts. She is one of the oldest ghosts trapped in her mansion and feels right out of American horror story. Of all 13 ghosts in 13 Ghosts, she's the only one whose arms are bound and while she's threatening, there isn't really much she can do other than look scary. And that's enough, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I mean, she looking... certainly cuts a figure, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. Looking like that is just... It's enough to just think, oh, 
I need to turn this off. <laughs> well, uh, we then get our, well, to me, the two most disgusting ones uh, in The Great Child and The Dire Mother. There are other cases of ghosts being exactly what they sound like. Margaret Shelburne was a little person, and I need to start saying that a lot more often around my son because he's picked up on the term midget because we're watching um, a lot of Hornswoggle matches lately in our WWF watch-alongs. Um, <laughs> and uh, he did get caught by his mother chanting the word midget constantly at the TV. So, <laughs> little person, Daniel, little yep. person. Little person. I'm a yep. grandpa with that. <laughs> so this little person worked in an American Horror Story style carnival freak show and her enormous son Harold was the result of a sexual assault by the carnival's tallest member of the freak troupe. Some of the other freaks later murdered Margaret, leading Harold to go crazy with an axe and kill most of them before he himself was killed by an angry mob. Now these two would fit right in in American Horror Story freak show showing the subtle influences as we've mentioned that 13 Ghosts has had on modern horror definitely mate it, like, I'm really surprised they have uh, American Horror Story haven't gone down this this uh, film and just like lifted stories maybe that's for the new season but <laughs> um, <laughs> they definitely um, yeah they, they could do a lot they could do a lot worse than lifting from this film they definitely could, and I imagine they could get three wonderfully frightening villains out of our final three ghosts, who are definitely the most dangerous to the family and other human characters as well, aren't they? Yes, 100%. So the first of our final three is born George Markley, but is known as the Hammer. Now, he wasn't a bad person at all. He worked as a blacksmith in a small town. That is until he was falsely accused of theft by a white man and George's family was brutally murdered. In a grief-fueled rage, George took his trusty sledgehammer and bludgeoned their killers. But the townspeople blamed him and killed him by driving railroad spikes into his body. Now, this is probably the only racial commentary made in this movie, as 13 Ghosts and other early 2000s horror movies weren't known for commenting on social issues. However, you can see how characters like this inspired a lot of uh, Get Out's meaning, for yeah. example, because we're getting this relatively modern trend now of um, social commentary in our horror films, aren't we? As, as, especially with the brand new Candyman film as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely, mate. I mean, uh, that's just something... It's, it's just something that's um, happening now, isn't it? It is. And uh, the, the other thing that I also noticed about this character and uh, that I couldn't get over at all is that I, I really couldn't get past the fact that he reminded me of the Boogeyman character from SmackDown. Yeah, I could see that similarity. <laughs> he just needs the face paint and a bucket of worms, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, and that massive clock. <laughs> But you're starting to notice a lot here as well, Danny, before we get to the last two ghosts, that you can you can see tropes in all the characters based on their backstories that have become yeah. quite a staple in modern horror films and series, can't you? Yes, you can see that um, they have a possible sympathy um, uh, element to them as well. You can see uh, that a lot of them are not there because uh, they're bad people or they were bad people. They're there because of circumstances. Yeah, that's it. And, and that's what makes the characters vengeful, isn't it? It's, it's nothing to do with the people that they were. It's about what they've become as a result of their circumstances, isn't it? Definitely, Matt. And it also just adds to, um, fuel to how bad of a character Cyrus is. It certainly does. And... Uh, so, our last two ghosts are, are two characters that we could probably see as being genuinely sick and twisted people. The first of which is the Jackal, who was born Ryan Coon in 1887, who grew up to be a vicious and compulsive sexual predator and killer. However, he actually did seek help for his affliction, checking into an asylum, but it didn't do him any real good as before long he'd completely lost what was left of his mind. He eventually died when the asylum burned down, although unlike Freddy Krueger, another sexual predator burned to death who returns to haunt the living, 
No burn scars can be seen on the jackal. That was smart of them not to put burn scars on him, or they might have been so. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, that's the thing. It would have been uh, uh, character infringement, at least, wouldn't it? Definitely, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and we then get to our final ghost, Horace Breaker Mahoney, who was also known as the Juggernaut, who is definitely the most dangerous out of all of the ghosts in this movie and can be considered almost a final boss of the group. A mountain of a man, Horace was a serial killer who would pick up hitchhikers or offer rides to the stranded, similar to Holden's psychopath buddy Edmund Kemper in Mindhunter, only to take them back to his junkyard and tear them apart with his bare hands. He'd then feed their bodies to his dogs. Along with the hammer, the juggernaut sadly decimates friendly psychic weirdo Dennis Rafkin. Well, there you go, mate. But who is your favourite ghost of the bunch? Oh, that's a hard one. That to me, to me, is about impact, and it's like what one sticks with me the most, and it has to be the torso, because it reminds me, especially with the cello frame factor. If I remember uh, on Stereo Echoes, I think that woman was wrapped up or girl was wrapped up in cellophane and then put in the uh, wall um i think it would have to be the torso yeah definitely how about you mate so um i think i agree with your point about it's the one that stands out the most for you um so for that reason um it's got to be the torn prince because that's that's the image that i can't kind of turn away from really from this <laughs> film it's 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 the, it's the one character that i remember because of how visually striking it was to me so yeah probably yeah. the tom prince i hope you don't have any trouble sleeping uh, because of that chris <laughs> oh no mate there's there's no danger of that don't you worry i'm, I'm gonna watch some cat cartoons for a bit when we come off oh brilliant. Um, yeah <laughs> lovely so mate you liked this film i liked this film but at the time of 13 ghosts release the reviews weren't the kindest. Uh, some praise was directed towards the production design, but the film was criticised for its lack of scares and a number of strobe effects throughout that would induce seizures. It holds an approval rating of 16% on review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes, based on 94 reviews with an average rating of 3.62 out of 10. The website's critical consensus reads that the production design is first rate, but 13 Ghosts is sadly lacking in scares. On Metacritic, the film has a weighted average score of 30 out of 100, based on reviews from 24 critics, indicating generally unfavourable reviews. An audience is polled by CinemaScore gave the film an average grade of C+, on an A+, to F scale. Elvis Mitchell of the New York Times said of the film, that what we're left with after the scares is just plain dumb. Ed Gonzalez of Slant Magazine rated the film 2 out of 4 stars, panning the film's lack of scares and predictable plot twists. However, he commended the art direction, while also stating it was underutilised. Roger Ebert praised the production values, saying that it was first rate, and the physical look of the picture was splendid. However, he criticised the story, of course, the lack of interesting characters, loud soundtrack and poor editing. And in 2005, Ebert included it on his list of most hated films. And you know what I'm going to say, Danny? Shut up, dickhead. What do you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> However, I'm, just, I'm just shocked. Um, that amount of just bad praise for this film. I mean, it wasn't that bad, was it? <laughs> Well, no, it wasn't, mate. And in the years since its release and disappointing box office performance, the film has gathered a prominent cult following, finding further success and more positive reception. A lot of this positive reception would come from the home media releases, as Adrian Halen, writing for HorrorNews.net, notes that 13 Ghosts moves a bit too fast for comfort, but we get just enough to move forward, but not enough to feel like we know all the details. The DVD itself contains backstories on each of the menacing ghosts, and viewers might find that the extras fill in some of those missing pieces. We never learn much of Cyrus Criticos or the in-process storyline, and this is most likely a result of keeping the film limited to 90 minutes. A film this elaborate probably would serve better as a two-edition franchise, although that's not always a luxury. 
On the other hand, 13 Ghost provides a lot of action and freaky-looking ghost characters. This aspect is what makes the whole film fun. He also gives kudos to actor Matthew Lillard, who provides a great neurotic character to latch onto. But the biggest attraction he makes is to the makeup job and range of evil spirits lurking around in this film. Howard Berger and the team are credited for the fantastic makeup job, and the DVD also takes a behind-the-scenes look into the work that was entailed. And while our reviewer agrees that elements could have been more informative, he confesses to coming back to this film time and time again just to watch all the madness unfold, stating that it's definitely worth a viewing or two if you can leave your sense of completion at the front door. It's well edited and quite visual, but it would be exciting to see it franchise more. But for now, we have to take what we get. And I say that I agree on this, mate, given that this was a film that I watched completely blind. Um, yeah. It would have benefited from a bit more time, which isn't something that I always say in horror films. Yeah, that, that's a very fair criticism. It's like, uh, especially bringing up the DVD uh, extras and things like that, I feel, because just... Um, when we we don't have the luxury of that anymore, but DVDs really are a thing of the past, which is it yeah. pains me to say that streaming has taken over. Um, you do miss the extras that add like a lot of the uh, even. Do you remember videotapes having extra scenes right at the end of the film after the credits? Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. yeah. And that's the thing. And like, um, Thirteen Ghosts would have probably come out around the golden age of DVD as well, where like yes. everything got a, a slew of extras. Like even if it wasn't a particularly good film, there'd be like a behind the scenes documentary. Yeah. There'd probably be at least two commentaries that you yes. could go on to. Deleted yeah. scenes, um, you know, trailers, everything, yeah. trailers, yes, international yeah. spots, the yes. lot. Whereas <laughs> now, you know, they put these things out for quickness, and yeah. there's even some Blu-rays where you're lucky to just get a trailer. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just like there's so much extras of this DVD. I mean, we'll, we'll post it to the social, but it's just like why, like why can't they put something out on the streaming uh, parts of it? Like when you click it, you should be able to see. Uh, that's the, also the beauty of um, the inlays that they have as well, because sometimes you get like a thick book that explains all of this. And mm. it's just it's just sad that it, um, it's a it's thing of the past, these DVDs, because they add, as um, the review uh, clearly stated, it adds to the um, enjoyment of the film and it adds to, like, you're getting more information from the film. Yeah, and I've got to be honest, mate, um, talking about streaming platforms, it's one of the things that I love about Disney Plus because um, a lot of the films that you choose on there to watch have also got all of their extras on a separate panel. Oh, well, that's cool. I didn't know that. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, so, I mean, you you see it a lot with a lot of the bigger movies. So, like, all of the Marvel films, all of the Blu-rays extras are on there. You see it a lot with the Alien films, the Predator films. Oh. So, yeah, there's. Um, I, I think that's a really nice touch. And I think, like, you know, companies like Netflix would have probably benefited from that because they yeah. started out as a DVD delivery service, didn't they? So yes. they would have yeah. obviously known the importance of the overall package with physical media. Yeah, definitely. I mean, just I hope that uh, becomes a thing more regular on more websites in the future because I didn't know that about Disney Plus, but well, that's mm. really cool. And that's that's the thing about Disney. I mean, I, I know they get looked at as this evil corporation uh, and, you know, people could argue that I'm being nice about them because they own all the things I like, but... They, they do go the extra mile with their presentation, and they always have. I mean, you know, they they jumped on the DVD boom in the first place, so a lot of their films were, were two-disc affairs, with the second disc loaded with extras and educational games and things for kids. But, you know, they're a massive merchandising machine, so it makes sense that if they want you to lay money down for their service, they're going to give you something a little bit extra, because that's what Disney have always done. Absolutely, man. That's a great point. Mm. So we also got another cracking review from Kim Morrison writing for the underrated horror website Ghouls, Ghouls, Ghouls who wrote everything about 13 Ghosts is beautiful to look at from the house to the ghosts to the way that certain shots are framed the junkyard scene at the start of the movie is the perfect introduction to this world and the scene where all the ghosts stand in a circle spinning around Kathy and Bobby is something we could look at for hours. 
It would be such a shame for 13 Ghosts to get written off as a cheesy remake because it's so visually stunning, even 20 years after its release. The effects still look great, the ghosts are still creepy, and the jittery visuals and the intense screaming echoes that signal a ghost is near have become quite common in haunting horror movies because they were just done so perfectly here. 13 Ghosts took the core of the original movie and turned it into something far better and far scarier. Without losing the family drama at its heart, it gave us creepier lore, standout villains, amazing death scenes, and a film that you will not get tired of looking at. And I find all of that really hard to argue with, Danny, because what yeah. this film lacks in scares, it makes up for in stunning visual and audio effects and an easy-to-follow but equally compelling plot. Yeah, 100%, mate. I mean, it's just... It's you, you put it perfectly there. I can't really add to it, but yeah, you're hundred percent bang on. Yeah, and again, just a, a last mention to the cast. Um, again, I haven't gone into the cast too much, but I think everybody is perfectly cast. All of the characters are completely believable. Uh, we've completely praised Matthew Lillard and rightly so because he he steals the show. But I just wanted to give a honourable mention out to Rashia. Radiger Fisher, who makes a great debut here as the put-upon nanny. And are you familiar at all with Radiger's other career? No, no. So, mate, um, if the pseudonym wasn't enough of a giveaway, Radiger is an awesome rapper who was associated with Buster Rhymes in the early 2000s. Oh. And she released an amazing debut album called The Imperial. And she was also in a group with a pre-fame Eminem. Oh, wow. I'll have to check her out then after um, we finish recording here. Yeah, so um, I'll definitely put a snippet of one of her better tracks in for the outro, but she also performs the music that plays over the end credits of the film. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah and, that's her. And this is her debut, did you say? Uh, I think so. Um, I think the other thing that she's done is um, there was a parody of the Blair Witch Project starring rappers that I think also came out around this time. It's called um, The Hip Hop Witch or something like that. I don't think it's very good, but it's got people like Eminem in it and, and all that. So it's it's worth it just to see like yeah. who's in it, you know. Yeah, that, the, the, that, uh, it doesn't sound like my cup of tea, but I, I definitely want to check that out. I, being uh, It's from that time, and I want to see... Um, because uh, Blairwick's project was absolutely panned, wasn't it? But nowadays you watch that and it's just a gold mine in my opinion but at the time i do remember people doing parodies like people would parody scream a lot as well like scary movie films and things like that people parody the ring so oh yeah i don't look at blair witch project as a failure at all that a lot of people have said over the years because now it's more scarier than ever now oh yeah i mean definitely like i'll i'll be very honest i was one of the people that didn't particularly rate the Blair Witch Project at the time. Uh, a friend of mine raved about it. Um, I didn't get what all the fuss was about because it wasn't the sort of horror I liked. You know, I liked, um, well, blatantly obvious things. I loved my 80s slashes, uh, stuff that didn't need too much of a story, didn't need to think about it too much. So, if anything, for me, the Blair Witch Project has aged a heck of a lot better than most movies and it's a film that i really enjoy now so yeah i can really agree with your assessment there bud yeah definitely and i think vh i mean we're getting off on a tangent here <laughs> i think vhs the vhs films i've only seen two but i know there's four um i think they were the next evolution in in um the blair witch projects uh yeah. kind of I mean, a lot of people would argue paranormal activity is, but I think it was VHS, the series, that um, was the next level to the Blair Witch Project of um, found footage type films. Yeah, and um, those films are really like um, yeah. underrated as well, aren't they? Like, mm. Especially the first one, it's so good. Yes, yeah, that's something we have to get on this show. But yeah. I, I, it's like I feel um, that... The, uh, the Blair Witch I mean I've never even seen Blair Witch Project 2 but have you seen oh that? don't never never watch it it's awful it is but, so bad honestly it is yeah. it's if, if anything is an example of a cash grab I mean it looks like they've spent more money on it it looks completely out out of place with, with the first one um, if if anything 
it actually made me realise what I'd missed with the first film, honestly. It made me appreciate yeah. it a lot more. No, thanks for that, because I, I just was amazed that there's two things that just really amazed me about these this time period. Little Nicky had a Game Boy Colour game. And so it's did your Le- game. No, you're, this is going to blow your mind. So did Blair Witch Project 2. Had its oh. own Game Boy Colour game. Amazingly, I had no idea. When I saw this, I was just, I nearly collapsed because I was like, how niche does that sound that Blair Witch Project 2 has its own uh, Game Boy Color game and Little Nicky as well, to be honest. Definitely, I mean, yeah, I, I would have, I would have never put those two together. Uh, although, um, talking of video games, uh, the the Blair Witch video game is very, very good. Uh, the one that came out for recent systems. I mean, I know you know you probably won't have played it, but there's some really good videos for it on YouTube. It's it's yeah. an excellent little game, really. Brilliant, I'll check them out. Awesome. Uh, but, mate, uh, our next film is not going to be The Blair Witch Project, so would you like to know what I've got lined up for us? Absolutely, mate. I've been waiting with anticipation to see where you'll be taking us. Will it be 80s, 90s, 2000s, or beyond? Well, mate, we are back in my 90s wheelhouse uh, for our next stop on this horror road trip. And, yes, I am going to keep going on with that tired theme for as much as I can. Uh, but I want us to get back into my uh, Skoda Scala and talk about a film that was instrumental in my love of the genre. It's a 1994 classic starring Tony Todd and based on a story by Clive Barker. My choice is the excellent Candyman. Oh, that's really good choice. Chris. I can't wait to get into that with you. Yep, I've very recently bought the Arrow video cut and, uh, I mean, while I don't need an excuse to watch it, I've been looking for an excuse to watch it, so there we go. No, excellent, mate. Yeah, that's a film I believe I've seen once when they were showing it on Channel 5 in the late 90s, but um, I only remember that because I know where I was (laughs) at the point, where I was living at that point in time. Right. And the only thing, I mean, right now I can say this with whole honesty, the only thing I remember from it is if you say his name three times in the mirror, he appears. Oh, no, remember, mate, it's five times. Yeah, you see, that's how, see, I'm, I'm missing that completely. <laughs> but that's, so I'm really looking forward to watching that with a fresh set of eyes and then reviewing it with you, mate. Yeah. Is that why you never jumped out of the mirror to kill you? You weren't saying his name enough times. Uh, probably, yeah. And being the fact that I live alone, um, I'm not going to be doing that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me a lucky duck, mate, because I will get to speak to you again about horror classics. And boys and girls, you will be able to hear us speak to you about horror classics again. And if you want to give us feedback on what you've heard, if you want to suggest movies that we could watch, a few people have done. So far, the answer is no, but you never know what you're going to get. You can follow us on Twitter at One Man's Meat Pod. Uh, we're happy to receive any and all feedback. Uh, we consider everything to be constructive criticism. Um, although, if you do say that with the S word, you're wrong because we're fabulous. But there we go. So, folks, Danny and I didn't really get much sleep last night. There was uh, an awful lot of noise. Um, in, in fact, Danny, I don't know about you, but it felt like the walls were moving around. Yes, it really did. Um, I just didn't know what was going on, but yeah, I just put in my earphones and tried to block it out. <laughs> Too right, so did I. I mean, I I tried to watch a bit of TV, but the those Google Glass things they had, they didn't seem to be working very well. I, I couldn't pick up a single thing. All I got was this weird little lad walking around with an arrow on his head. I, I couldn't work it out. Oh, no, we, we, we'll see what happens, uh, see what happens tonight. Maybe we will, mate. So, uh, so folks, uh, Danny and I are going to continue on our journey to undiscovered pleasures. Uh, we're driving through a little bit of a rough neighbourhood now, um, and for some reason there's bloody bees everywhere. But never mind, I'm sure we'll cope. We shall see you next month. But in the meantime, and in between time, take care and don't be scared. <laughs> Three older brothers and we trying to make a living So we hustle and we bubble and we coming up fast Ain't gonna never be the same since moms and pops passed
the kids used to ride a bitch out All grown up now Nice job, nice clout, nice wife, nice house Trying to take the right route Treat this like the queen brother gave me everything Anytime I got in trouble he could probably pull some strings Daddy footsteps, same career, same speed Made the greatest big brother and father to his own seed But something happened on the job he started snapping Problems with the wife he wigging out and started capping Tried to turn himself in just to make things right Ended up taking flight cause he not the jail type Because I think it remains raw, it remains raw. Follow the rules, you hear me? 